0: So we are continuing the series we started last week, titled Full Armor of God, and, and we are focusing again on Ephesians chapter 6, the, the last part of this letter that Paul wrote to the church in Ephesus. And, and just as I said last week, uh, this is a letter from Paul, just like many of the New Testament books of the Bible are, um, but Ephesians is a little bit different in that it doesn't address specific issues, it addresses some bigger picture issues with the church. And, and specifically the different purposes that God has for the church to live up to. And we see again that he goes through many different topics throughout the letter, and then the, the final topic he gives um, is, uh, is he addresses how we as the church, as the gathering of believers, are on the front lines of a great spiritual conflict. Right? That we are involved in what we kind of have labeled spiritual warfare, all of the time, and that we are on the front lines of this battle. Last week, we looked at the, just kind of the intro verses into this section, and we saw these, these four foundational truths that Paul gives us that we need to understand so that we can truly do what, what he advises us to do, and that is to stand firm right, in the midst of the battle. So those four foundational truths, if you missed last week, um, I'm going to run through them real quickly for you now, but again, I'll tell you, if you did miss last week, I encourage you to go online and listen to the podcast or watch the video and get caught up on all of the, again, the foundation of this series, um, because we're going to be spending the next several weeks going through piece by piece of the armor that is that is given to us as, as believers and as followers of Jesus to be able to stand firm. But foundational truth number one is that human power won't bring victory, only God's power will. And we're told not to fight by our power, but by God's power, because he is almighty and all-powerful. Foundational truth number two is we don't get to choose if we are involved. Just because we are human and we are created in God's image means we are involved. But the choice we do have to make is whether we will engage and fight back in the war or whether we'll just be target practice. By the enemy. That is a choice we get to, to make. Foundational truth number three is we need to identify the real enemy. Again, the real enemy is, is the devil and the demons and the evil in our world, right? Not each other. It's not other people in the church or other believers. It's not other churches. It's not even non-believing people or our culture or our world. That is not the enemy, right? The real enemy is Satan and his demons and the powers of evil. And foundational truth number four is that we need the full armor of God in order to stand firm. And, and as we see again, these, these intro verses give us these four truths at, the, at this opening part of Ephesians 6 in this section. And so, but today though, I just want to give, kind of start with these summary of these verses, and which is the, the theme verses of our series, Ephesians 6, 10 and 11. It says, and a final word. Be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Put on all of God's armor so you will be able to stand firm against all strategies of the devil. Again, identifies these four foundational truths and again, what we are up against as a follower of Jesus. But the good news is is we, again, uh, we have God's power with us. As a believer, God's Holy Spirit lives in our hearts and and we have God's power. And the, the good news, the best news about this entire topic and concept that Paul gives us is that God wins, right? The end is already written. We don't have to wonder, will we find victory? Well, all we have to do is claim victory through the power of Jesus, right? And that is the best news of all of this. And again, we don't have to be scared about this battle, right? Or worry about being taken out as long as we, again, put on the full armor of God right? Because every piece of the armor is important. If one piece of it is weak, then that's exactly where we will be attacked. Because any, again, good, um, anybody good at battle knows, right? That you don't attack where you're strong, you attack where they're weak. And which is why, again, we need the full armor of God. Like I said, we're going to spend the next several weeks looking at every piece and why each piece is important, uh, and so our text for this morning is where Paul goes in, uh, in these the following verses after the intro verses into verses 13 through 18 as he describes the full armor and what all these pieces are. So that's going to be our text for this morning, Ephesians chapter 6, verses 13 through 18. So if you have your own Bible with you, I invite you to open with me to Ephesians chapter 6. If you don't have your own Bible or don't have it with you today, there are Bibles uh, in the seats that you're welcome to use. You can grab one of those and you'll notice the page numbers of where you can find this passage in those Bibles. So we're going to open up to Ephesians chapter 6 and we're going to pick up at verse 13, all right? where it says, Therefore, put on every piece of God's armor so you will be able to resist the enemy in the time of evil. Then, after the battle, you will still be standing firm. Stand your ground putting on the belt of truth and the body armor of God's righteousness. For shoes, put on the peace that comes from the good news so that you will be fully prepared. In addition to all of these, hold up the shield of faith to stop the fiery arrows of the devil. Put on salvation as your helmet and take the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God. Pray in the Spirit at all times on every occasion. Stay alert and be persistent in your prayers. For all believers everywhere. So we see again here Paul describes these different pieces of the armor and, and we think about, well where did Paul come up with this word picture? Where, where did he come up? Did he just pull this out of the air? And, and the truth is he didn't. It is, he is describing these different pieces of, of armor that a Roman uh, guard would have worn. Okay, he's describing these pieces of Roman armor. And, and you think, well, why was this important? Why, like, where did even Paul see this? And because the truth is, and we look at the background of Ephesians, Ephesians is what is called, um, is one of the prison epistles. Okay, prison epistles is a fancy scholarly word for meaning that it's a letter that Paul wrote when he was in prison. And he was literally, probably as he's writing this letter, he was literally chained to a Roman guard. Right? And this Roman guard would have been wearing this armor, right? Because it was their uniform. And he, he would have been looking at this and saying, oh, how can I get them to understand how serious this, this battle is? How, how, what, what words can I use to describe the importance of this? And he looks up and looks at this Roman guard, right? And says, I got an idea. Right? And this God gives us armor. He gives us all these different pieces. Right now, as as he lists out in these verses, he lists out these pieces of the Roman armor. He lists them in a very specific order. He lists lists them in the order in which a soldier would have put them on. So he starts at the beginning. He starts with the belt of truth. Right? And then he moves to the breastplate, and then he moves to the, the shoes, right? And then, and then you add the sword and the shield, and, and the last when you're ready, you put on the helmet, right? He, he puts these in the—he describes them in the order in which this Roman soldier would have put them on. And then once all of the armor is in place, they are ready to go serve, right? They're ready for battle. Again, they put on the armor in safety— and then they, they go from there when all of the armor is in place and fitted properly, then they leave that safety and go into battle, right? Or into their area of service, right? Or whatever, uh, again, their assignment is for that day or for that situation or that conflict. And so, as I said, these next several weeks, we're going to be going through each of these pieces and going through them in the order that Paul describes them. And so today... Right, is we are going on the belt of truth. Okay, now the belt of truth it's again, it's the it's the first piece that that they will put on. Now again, as they put on this armor, they, they start out with just kind of their with their underclothes. Right, just kind of their, their regular clothes that they kind of wear, and, 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 under that, and then on top of that, this final layer is, is put on right um, over the top of that. And the belt is very important because the belt serves many different um, purposes. Okay, first off, is that the belt, in order to serve its purpose, it needs to be on tight. Now, I don't know if you've ever experienced this, right, or worn a belt right? But the belt is not very effective if it's not tight enough, right? Why, and just when you think about our modern belts we use today, right? Why do we do it? It's, it holds our pants in place, right? And we've all seen people that need a belt, haven't we? Right? And yet again, the belt is very ineffective if it's not tight, Right? If it's not fitted properly. Now, as a Roman soldier, they, they, they would have fitted this belt into a tight position uh, for many reasons. But the only time they would ever loosen their belt is if they are off duty. Hey, okay? and that was one of the signs of saying, like, I'm ready for service, I'm ready to be on duty, is if that belt is tightened. Right? And when that belt is tightened, then, then, uh, then it, it serves all of the purposes that it needs to do. The, the, it was the first piece of the armor because it held everything together. Right? You know, it holds everything in the proper place. It starts off with even just the undergarments, right? It's, it's put around their waist, and as it's tightened, it holds that, those garments in place underneath the armor. They also, these other very important pieces of the armor are attached to the belt. Example, the next piece that goes on is the breastplate. And the breastplate literally would have been attached to the belt. It, it keeps it from moving up because if it moves up, right, it would choke them. Right? Or it wouldn't protect all of the, the vital organs it's designed to protect. But we're going to go more into the breastplate next week. But again, the breastplate would have been drastically ineffective without the belt. So it starts with the belt, then it, it, it holds the undergarments in place. It holds the breastplate in place. And it, and lastly, right, as we get to the only offensive weapon that, that the, um, again, the Roman soldier would have had would, would have been their sword. And the sword then is also attached to the belt. Right, It holds the sheath and, and it carries it and it holds it where it's access, accessible for when they need it. Okay, the belt held everything together. In fact, the belt affects all of the other armor. If the belt doesn't do its job, the rest of the pieces of the armor are going to be less effective without the belt. And and again, this is where Paul starts. He says, first look at the belt. And the belt is the belt of truth. But he's saying truth is so important. Right? Truth needs to be tight and precise. Right? It needs to be in the proper place because truth changes everything. Just like the belt affects every other piece, the truth is what everything else is built upon. The truth changes everything. Keep that phrase in your head as we dive deeper into this this morning. Truth changes everything. And again, as we, as we keep that in our head and, and mind, we're going to dive into what does scripture tell us about truth, right? What, what is so important about it? What, how is it defined? Hey, as we start our, our journey this morning into truth, I want, we're going to start in uh, a pretty famous passage in the, the final hours of Jesus' life, okay, in John chapter 18, verses 33 to 38. So flip with me over to the gospel of John, John chapter 18, and just to kind of set the context of this, this is, again, the, the last, literally the last hours of Jesus' life before he's crucified. Okay, he's already prayed in the garden. He's already been arrested. He's already been in front of the Jewish, you know, leaders and the Pharisees who have, have already gone through this, this trial and condemned him. And now they have brought him to Pilate. Okay, now Pilate was uh, the Roman official in the area. Okay, and, and Pilate was the guy that was going to decide to either crucify Jesus or let him go. Okay, Pilate was holding lots of power in this moment. Hey, and Pilate, again, skits Jesus brought to him by these, by these Jewish leaders, and they say, we want this man killed. Okay, and now Pilate is going back and forth and like, what do I do here? And, and should I kill him? Should I not? What, what's his real crime? Uh, all of these things. And then there's this very interesting interaction between Pilate and Jesus because Pilate has no idea what to do. Hey, and Pilate pulls Jesus aside and has this conversation. And we're going to pick up this conversation in Again, John chapter 18, starting at verse 33. It says, then Pilate went back into his headquarters and called for Jesus to be brought to him. Are you the king of the Jews? He asked him. And Jesus replied, is this your own question or did others tell you about me? Am I a Jew? Pilate retorted, your own people and their leading priests brought you to me for trial. Why? What have you done? And Jesus answered, my kingdom is not an earthly kingdom. If it were, my followers would fight to keep me from being handed over to the Jewish leaders. But my kingdom is not of this world. And Pilate said, so you are a king. And Jesus responded, you say I am a king. Actually, I was born and came into the world to testify to the truth. All who love the truth recognize that what I say is true. What is truth? Pilate asked. And then he went out again to the people and told them he is not guilty of any crime. Now I bring up this conversation between Jesus and Pilate because notice how does the conversation end? Right, Pilate's already confused, right? He's kind of looking at this. He's like, I don't understand why they brought you to me. Are you a king or are you not a king? I, I just, I don't get it. Right, and, he, and he goes through this exchange, and Jesus does what Jesus many times does, right, which is he answers a question with a question, right, which only leads Pilate down this road of, of deeper confusion. And yet Jesus kind of gives him this riddle about, about being a king and, and not of this world and all these different things, and Pilate kind of gets on this, and then Jesus says, this is the key to what you're trying to figure out. It's truth. Right? I came because I brought truth and I bring in truth and I am truth. And, and and this is what we really seek. And then Pilate stands back and was like, whoa, what is truth? Right? And Pilate kind of stands and he's like, you're going down a road that I'm not sure I want to go down. Right, you bring up again this, this huge question that we all ponder within the very center of our soul, what is truth? Like, right, what, what do I build my life on? Like, what can I stand upon? What, what, what can I know is real? Right, and there is so much depth in that question. What is truth? So much that we need to ask the same question today that Pilate asked then. What is truth? What is truth? Because we already know, and we saw last week, as we looked at that, we live in a world full of lies. And yet we need to know what is true. So much so because just as Paul tells us, right, it's the belt. It pulls everything together. Everything's built upon it. It's truth. Well, what is truth? So as we dive into, again, God's word, as we seek this answer, right, that, that Pilate asked of Jesus, that Jesus says, I, I, I'm bringing you the truth. And it's like, well, then let's find out what that is. All right, so we're going to start this morning as we, we dive into this question, what is truth? We start with the Old Testament definition of truth, okay? Because, again, the, the, the Old Testament, the New Testament, they, they give us very different perspectives, okay? In the Old Testament, the Old Testament definition of truth, it is, it is a character trait, you know, we read anything in, in the Old Testament when it talks about the truth, whether it's in the Psalms or in the Proverbs or the writings of the prophets. Okay, there's all these, they talk about truth a lot, but when they talk about truth, it's a character trait. Okay, it is not fact-oriented. And yet that's where I think our minds naturally go, right? Is truth, well, it's, it's about the facts. Not from the Old Testament perspective. The Old Testament perspective treats it as a character trait, not a fact oriented, but it's an attribute of a person or a community. Again, that person has truth, right? That community stands for something real. You can trust what they say. It's very different than just facts. Uh, it's a character trait. Okay, in fact, the, the bigger definition okay, of the, this Old Testament Hebrew word that is often translated as truth, the, the Hebrew word is emet, E-M-E-T. Okay, the, the, the full definition of this Hebrew word is truth, faithfulness, security, or Reliability. It's most times connected to relational situations involving love, kindness, mercy, justice, and righteousness. Again, it's not a list of facts. It's about your heart and your character and your intentions and the way you interact with people. Are you a person of truth? Does this community stand for truth? Are they, are they reliable? Are they righteous? Are they loving? Are they kind? Again, this list, this definition of, of truth from this Old Testament Hebrew word looks a lot like the fruits of the Spirit in the New Testament. Right? Truth is a character trait. And then we, we see all this teaching even of the prophets and 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 the the Psalms of David and all these things that describe this character trait of truth. And then we move into the New Testament. And the New Testament, again, starts with the Gospels, the story of Jesus' life. Right? And the New Testament defines truth a little bit different. In the Old Testament, we see this character trait. And then in the New Testament, the New Testament defines the truth as Jesus. Now, I know what you're thinking. We're like, is the answer really Jesus, right? Yes, and, and I understand when you come to church, you feel like the answer should always be Jesus. But it's actually Jesus on this question, right, of what is truth. In the New Testament perspective, right, it is described literally on, on all of the, the places that are talked about truth is you could replace it with Jesus, so we see in the Old Testament, this is this character trait. And then in the New Testament, right? we get the, the Messiah, the, God's son is sent to this earth. And then he manifests everything that is truth in who he is. Jesus lives out this character trait of truth. In fact, this, we see this many places all throughout the New Testament. In fact, John starts his gospel. In fact, when we think about the New Testament perspective of truth, we go to the gospel of John because truth is a major theme of the gospel of John as it shares the, the different events and, and, and miracles of Jesus. Right? The very, very first chapter, the intro in the gospel of John, John chapter 1, verse 14, it says, the word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only Son, who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. Now notice, this is the NIV version of this, of this verse. Again, if you're following along in one of the Bibles that's, that's provided for you, um, again, I, and I'm reading, for, I use the New Living Translation. Okay, now the New Living Translation translates this phrase a little differently, which is why I gave you the NIV version, because it uses the word truth. Okay, now the NLT version translates it as full of unfailing love and faithfulness. But again, we see that connection, right, is it's using that same concept out of that Old Testament definition of truth. As it's describing the person of Jesus. Again, it's not facts. He's full of grace and truth, or, right? And if you see those same words, grace is unfailing love, and truth is translated as faithfulness in the NLT. It's the same kind of definition, but now this verse says we take this, this character trait of truth, and now it's manifested in Jesus putting on flesh as the word became flesh. But we see one of the, the most, um, again, bold statements that Jesus ever made about himself is seen in John fourteen six, And I, I want to look at fourteen six and 7, okay, where Jesus told them, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one can come to the Father except through me. If you had really known me, you would know who my Father is. And from now on, you do know him and have seen him. Again, Jesus, I mean, makes the claim. He says, I am truth. Right? I am that character trait. And guess what? I'm here and I'm reflecting the Father. Because if you know me, then you know the Father. And how will you know what truth is? Well, it's through me. And, and because God is truth, it is his character. It's at the center of who God is and Jesus, the human form of God reflects back to the father, the truth, this core concept and character trait. Again, Jesus is truth as he reflects the character of the father. See, truth is still a character trait. It's the core of who God is. And it is fully reflected to us in the person of Jesus. Again, the answer is Jesus. The the more we study Jesus, the more we know truth. And this, again, this absolute truth that, that comes in the person of Jesus Right, that we see again as we talk about this cosmic war. And again, we looked at this verse last week in in John 8 44 that, that identifies the devil. And again, this is Jesus speaking. Okay, and says the devil was a murderer from the beginning, he has always hated the truth. Okay, what does the devil hate? God. Right, he hates the truth because there is no truth in him. When he lies, it is consistent with his character, for he is a liar and father of all lies. Again, we see Jesus defines himself as truth and is reflecting this into the father. Right? And then we see, though, then he gives us this this other definition of what's not truth. Right? The opposite of truth, which which is lies and deception. And again, identifies for us who the real enemy is because truth changes everything and right? as we realize again th- this this whole idea and this concept this is where the battle even comes from right is the fact that that Jesus and God uh, manifest this character trait of truth and yet the enemy is the opposite of truth there is no truth in him and there is the cosmic conflict Right, as we see this, right, Jesus is teaching us to say, "Hey, spot the lies." Right, how, do you, how do we know the lies? How do we know we're being deceived? Well, it's by knowing the truth. Because if you know the truth, then the deception becomes very obvious. Think about this concept: truth versus deception. Okay, i got a quick little video to kind of illustrate the power of this. Truth versus deception. Let's watch this. Hi, I'm the truth. And I'm not deception. You're not deception? No. Um, uh, I think I know what's going on here. So, what color is this room? Purple. Gotcha. Right, so this room is not white and you're not deception. Right. But even if you were deception, we couldn't believe anything you'd say anyway, right? Because they'd all be lies. Not necessarily. So if you were deception, you'd tell the truth? Yes. Because lying is bad. No. So it's okay to lie? Yes. But you don't? No. Again, is Jesus told us, right? The enemy lies. I mean, all he says is lies. You can't believe anything that comes from the enemy. Right? And we see, again, just a little silly illustration, but, but we see the power of that, right? It's, I mean, even in that, just hearing that little in exchange and be like, wait, what? But everything that came out of deception's mouth was a lie in that entire video. As we we think about this, right? Truth versus lies. I mean, and and again, how does truth pull everything together? Okay, well, here's again what what we're taught in scripture. What is again, what will truth bring into my life? If I pursue truth, if if I tighten the belt of truth in my life, what will it bring to me? First off, is that truth brings salvation through the gospel? Again, truth brings salvation. Again, through the gospel message. In, in the very beginning of the letter, um, as Paul starts this letter to the Ephesians, he, he lays this foundation of truth in the very first chapter. And he says, and now you Gentiles have also heard the truth, the good news that God saves you. And when you believed in Christ, he identified you as his own by giving you the Holy Spirit, whom he promised long ago. Again, you, you've heard the truth, right? And what is the truth? The good news of the gospel. That is what saves you. Again, literally gospel, is tra- the word gospel is translated as good news. Right? And again, through that, through the, the person of Jesus, through tr- the truth of Jesus, we find salvation. Right? And that's, again, how we join the journey of faith, right? Is when we receive Christ as our Savior, when we invite him into our life, when we confess our sins, Right? and receive his grace and his love and, and forgiveness and say, God, come into my life, enter my life. I'm now going to live for you instead of for myself. Right? We find salvation through truth. Next, though, when we find the truth and when we truly embrace that truth, is truth will bring freedom into our life. Again, it brings us freedom. You see, it, again, in, in John 8, 31 and 32, Jesus says to the people, who believed in him. If you are truly my disciples, if you remain faithful to my teachings and you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. Set you free from what? It'll set you free from sin and death, which happens at your salvation. But it also gives you the freedom to be who God made you to be. Right? Because God gave you the personality you have. God gave you the interests that you have. He gave you the gifts that you have on purpose. God made you the way you are. And, it, and the more you know God, the, the more you can be who you were created to be. I tell you, that's one of the lies that people tend to believe in our world is that if I choose to follow Jesus, then I have to change who I am. No, you don't. God made you the way you are on purpose. Now, is God going to purify your life and, and get some things out of your life that shouldn't be there? Absolutely. But he's not going to change who you are. Because right? you're his masterpiece. He made you that way on purpose. He's not going to give you a different personality or different interests. Now, he will transform your life and your perspective, absolutely. But he's not going to change who you are. It gives you the freedom to be who God made you to be. As we talk about journey classes, um, the journey class three uh, is part of that class is you take a personality test and a spiritual gifts test, okay, so that you can see how God made you and how he wants to use you in the way he made you. So truth brings salvation through the gospel. It brings, um, it brings freedom to, into our lives, and truth will also bring clarity to life. It brings clarity to life. Here we see John 14, verses 15 through 17. It says, if you love me, obey my commands. And I will ask the Father and he will give you another advocate who will never leave you. He's the Holy Spirit who leads into all truth. The world cannot receive him because it isn't looking for him and doesn't recognize him. But you know him because he lives with you now and later will be in you. Again, the Holy Spirit indwells your heart when you receive Christ your Savior and he will open your eyes to so many things as the Holy Spirit leads you into truth. So we see truth again brings all of these things into our lives. So how do I pursue truth in my life? How do I tighten that belt around my waist? There's a couple ways that scripture tells us to pursue truth in my daily journey. First off, is I need to immerse myself in God's word. Immerse myself in God's word. Not just, not just read it, not just study it, not just memorize it, but it's all of those things. It's, it's I get as much of God's word into your life in as many ways as possible. Immerse yourself in God's word. Because God's word is our source of known truth right we have to study what we know is true so that we can recognize the deceptions right away If we think about this concept right of, of we study the truth so that we can can spot a fake they and and counterfeit money investigators do you know what they do to train for their job they study the original currency they study the the, the authentic bill, and they know it so well. They know the feeling of the paper. They know the watermarks. They know all of the artwork. They know the coloring. They know they know the original so well that when they see a fake, they know it instantly. This isn't right. That's in the wrong spot. The paper doesn't feel right. The coloring's off. Right, whatever. But they don't study the counterfeit. They study the original. And that same concept is true in our faith journey. The more we study what we know is authentic, our known source of truth, right? The more we hear of God's voice and learn his voice, the more that we can spot a fake instantly. So we immerse ourselves in God's word. Again, not only will God's word fill our mind and our heart with truth, but that truth will truly transform us. Right, John 17, 17 through 19, make them holy by your truth. Teach them your word, which is truth. Just as you sent me into the world, I'm sending them into the world. And I give myself as a holy sacrifice for them so they can be made holy by your truth. This is Jesus's prayer hours before he goes to the cross. Right, as we immerse ourselves in God's truth and we are made holy by that truth. And then the, the second thing that, that we are instructed to do, again, to, 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 to gain truth into our life as a part of it is to genuinely worship God. Genuinely worship God. Again, Jesus tells us in John 4, 23 and 24. He says, but the time is coming. Indeed, it is here now when true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. The Father is looking for those who will worship him that way for God is spirit so those who worship him must worship him in worship him in spirit and in truth again how do I worship God in truth well it means that that I hold nothing back right that I give him the genuine things that are going in my life whether that's a struggle or a praise or a need or or whatever it is I, I bring that to him in worship I give him everything. I don't hold back. Right? And there's so many ways, again, we can worship God in truth. And, again, maybe that's literally just singing because I'm worshiping, not because I'm worried about the person behind me is going to hear me. Right? Or, or I, come to, I come forward and pray because God's leading me to do that instead of worrying about what everybody else is going to think. Right? That, that I worship him in spirit with everything that I am, and in truth, I hold nothing back in everything that I do. Again, how do I immerse my life with God's truth? How do I have it help me move forward in my life is I immerse myself in God's word and I worship genuinely and worship only God. Which leads easy then to my final thought this morning and that's this, in a world full of lies, Jesus brings truth and truth changes everything how much truth is in your life? How much is Jesus a part of your life? All right, what can you do this week to, to tighten the belt a little tighter? Bring more of God's word in your life to, to worship him genuinely. Again, I don't know, maybe it's even just receiving Christ as your savior for the first time and finding salvation through his truth. Whatever it is, I just encourage you again to take that step. Lord God, you know what our hearts hunger for because you made our hearts. And God, you made us the way we are. And God, we thank you that by your truth, Lord, you set us free to be who we really are. And God, because we can surrender to your truth, God, we can be stronger. But when we give up our life for you, we find real life. A life that is based on truth is based on you. God, we praise you for that today. And God, I ask as we go this week, Lord, that we can tighten that belt. God, that we can base our life and build uh, everything about us on you, on you, on your truth. And we know it's solid. We know it holds everything together. We know that your truth changes everything. And God, as we go this week, I pray that, That, Lord, your truth would be seen in our lives as we we serve you with everything we have every day. Because, Lord, we know this world is so full of lies. But, God, we praise you today that you are truth. And that we get to represent you and your truth through all we do. Lord, guide us this week. Help us to grow in our faith, to be more like you every day because we're moving forward in our journey. We love you. We praise you. We thank you today for being true. Help us as we go this week, Lord, to shine your truth in this world. Guide us as we go. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.